John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airline Studios. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand everywhere on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Now, John Clayton. And, of course, uh, congratulations to Jessamyn McIntyre. We're going to miss her so much. Uh, been of course, I go back the longest with her. I worked with her at ESPN when she was at ESPN Radio, and I was doing ESPN TV, radio, all those different things. I know of how many times she had to go in there and uh, you know wrestle out Mike Ditka and get him over to the radio side for different things. But uh, she meant so much to this station, so much to me, our family, Pat and I, everything else. And uh, I just wish you the best over at Q13, and we are going to miss you. Okay, we've got lots going on in the National Football League, and so let's get into all the things happening on the five biggest stories of the day. Number one. We mentioned earlier waiting for test results to come back in Tennessee and Minnesota. They have come back. According to a league spokesman, one additional Titans player tested positive in the most recent round of testing and no positives at all with the Minnesota Vikings. So the league is looking at this as good news. Obviously, you know, concern for the player that tests positive, but... They also identified no close contacts with that player, which tells them their isolation procedures are working as well. So they're moving forward, taking it day by day. Again, the Vikings still can't go back to their building today. The Titans still can't go back to their building until Saturday. But this is positive news for the league and for the, the situation going forward. Lots of developments going on here as far as that. The fourth uh, player now has tested positive. We find out of some of the five staffers, uh, you know, Shane Bowen, of course, tested positive on Saturday. Uh, many of those are coaches that did test positive. So now there's a total of nine, I guess you include Bowen, who have tested positive. And so what the league decided to do is move the game back. They're not going to play the Tennessee-Pittsburgh game on Sunday. They could move it to Monday. They could move it to Tuesday, but they're definitely moving it, and still the possibility is, depending on how everybody's coming back from the positive test, is that uh, you can go ahead and try to uh, see if they want to play the game later in the season. So that's kind of going on. Uh, no positive tests for Minnesota, so they get the report back to their facility on Thursday, so they're going to miss 48 hours. Uh, Steelers, no positive tests there, but they're just kind of in the waiting mode, practicing and trying to get ready for this football game. In the meantime, we find out, according to Bill O'Brien, <clears throat> that uh, he had two players or two players test positive on Sunday morning at about 5 a.m., wrestled out of bed and had to take the test, and they turned out to be false positives. And so with what happened on Sunday morning for Houston, along with what was going on uh, in, of course, I was, they were in Pittsburgh, but what was going on uh, with the Texans and the, the false positives, they basically had Errol Thomas coming in for a visit, and they had a couple other safeties coming in. They just basically said, let's ship them all home. We'll, we'll deal with it next week. So they're just going to try to get by with Eric Reed or with uh, you know Justin Reed at safety and try to get through that way. But <clears throat> the big thing is you've got uh, the first real breakout. And again, it's not the big breakout, and it's not going to cause the league or anything else to miss too many games. But this game between Tennessee and Pittsburgh in Tennessee is at least delayed until now. We'll see if they play it Monday or Tuesday. Number two. Well, I think the amount might have been excessive. You know, I mean, to make a statement that I can see that certainly that was excessive. But the, uh, you know, that we, we do know that in our, now let me say this: we've now played a, a game on the road. We played a game at home, and here by Saturday, by tomorrow, we'll know that uh, you know if we can stay all in the negatives again on their testing, then we will have managed a week on the road and a week at home, and we'll have a pretty good sense for it. So that's Pete Carroll, and what happened, uh, of course, he got fined $100,000 for not wearing the mask uh, enough, 
and team got fined $250,000, and now it's going to get even tougher, according to Adam Schefter and many of the people reporting on it. A very strongly worded memo won that team executives urging them compliance with game day protocols, mask wearing, and everything else. And according to uh, the league, they're saying that they're going to address a lack of compliance with accountability measures that could include suspensions or forfeitures of draft picks. Maybe a little bit too strong, but obviously they're trying to get the point across to make sure that everybody complies and does the best they can to try to you know limit the number of people that are going to uh, you know get the positive tests. So that's going to be in there. In the meantime, just seconds ago, uh, Seahawk moves. Now you know that uh, Ryan Neal, uh, or at least earned a spot on the roster with that interception at the end of the game. He just went to the active roster. They've signed him to the active roster. He had moved up on Sunday just from the practice squad, but he now goes from the practice squad to the roster, particularly with the likelihood Jamal Adams is going to miss the game. In the meantime, a couple moves to get guys on the practice squad. They had cut linebacker DeAndre Walker. Looks like they're going to get him on the practice squad. And, uh... Let's see. Did he clear? No, he got waived on Tuesday. DeAndre Walker got waived on Tuesday. And then the Seahawks did add two more players to the practice squad. Demarius Randall, the safety, and Tim Williams, a linebacker. And, of course, uh, Randall was a first-round pick in 2015 with the Green Bay Packers. Number three. I see the Lakers winning this series in six games, maybe five. But the point is, it wouldn't shock me at all if this series ended up going seven because two or three games... The Heat don't miss. And keep this part, last but not least, Jimmy Butler and the Miami Heat have absolutely nothing to lose. They've already had a very, very successful bubble. The expectations are slim to none. They are literally playing with house money. Because if you can, can you imagine, as great as we're talking about, we're talking about LeBron James. We're talking about Mount Rushmore. Okay. He already got away with not having to play Kawhi, even though I wanted to see him against Kawhi. And I think LeBron wanted that personally. But the flip side is to not have to deal with that and then to go to the finals, okay, against a Miami team that's considered vastly inferior. The Miami storyline, I'm here to tell you right now, I'm not, I'm not guessing Max Kellerman. I'm telling you, oh, does Pat Riley want this? That's Stephen A. Smith talking about the NBA having the uh, finals start tonight. Heat going against the Lakers, and I kind of agree with Steven. This is going to be five or six games. Uh, what do the Heat have to lose? Well, five or six four games get eliminated. But I think you know, as strong as it can be for LeBron, he should be able to pull this off and win an NBA title. Number four. And he walked him, and the run comes in. And the Astros, on a bases-loaded walk, lead it 2-1 to one in the ninth. Another breaking ball. Brantley delivers that one down in front of Buxton. Correa is going to come in to score. And just like that, the Houston Astros have a 4-1 lead in the ninth. And a chance to tie it. Swings at the first pitch, and Bregman ends it with a double play. The Houston Astros go into Minnesota and take the best home field advantage, and they beat them at home. Well, the wild card mania has started in the American League. Astros get the win over the Twins 4 to 1. White Sox beat the Athletics 4 to 1. Rays beat the Blue Jays 3 to 1. Yankees get a 12 to 3 victory and a the big blowout over the Indians. Not great games, but of course, uh, you know, some surprises in the sense that the Astros are basically a 500 team this year after <clears throat> doing all the success they've had in recent years. Tonight it's going to be all through the day in the National League. Reds take on the Braves, Marlins takes on the Cubs, Cardinals take on the Padres, and the Brewers play the Dodgers.
Number five. Your work ethic, and you, you know, you're one of the hardest workers, if not the hardest worker over there, but it was always about having fun, about, you know, being ourselves and letting the personalities hang out out there. So I, I was really, uh, I, was, uh, I had no idea that you were moving on until Paul and Danny reached out a couple of days ago, and I'm just uh, so happy and so proud for you. And, of course, Jessamyn McIntyre, her last day, her last minutes, just a few minutes ago, uh, as she goes now from here after being here for over 11 years. And, of course, I go back with her longer than anybody else because I've worked with her uh, at ESPN. And, of course, she did call me and want to find out, hey, what about coming out to the Northwest? I said, you're going to love it because I knew her so well. You know, coming from a coaching family, her father was a, a college coach. And, of course, uh, she being an athlete in college and also uh, really loves the game of football, although she, she unfortunately follows the Jets, which, of course, is a real painful thing. But it's kind of painful for us to lose her. But we were f- so fortunate to have her for 11 and a half years here at 710. She's going to go over as an executive producer at Q13. Jessamyn, we love you. We're going to miss you. The best of luck. And, of course, uh, that's uh, kind of the sad story. But, again, we're happy for her because she deserves everything that she can get. You can listen to the show via the 710 Sports app. It's powered by the Dubin Law Group. Coming up next, we're going to go under further review and talk about the injury situation and how it could affect this game coming up against Miami. John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. Under further review with John Clayton. We'll review the play. Well, we're going to get the injury list later this afternoon, and it's going to be pretty extensive. You know, six injuries at least on the game on Sunday. Uh, Jamal Adams, of course, being out. He's not going to expect to play. going to be a tough one on that one. We'll see about Chris Carson with the knee. Probably the one that's going to be out the longest, I would have to think, is Jordan Brooks because it's a first-degree MCL, so that could be two or three weeks. And so uh, Seahawks already making some roster moves. You know, Ryan Neal came off the practice squad, and they signed him. Uh, you know, they still have Shaquille uh, Griffin back on the practice squad, and they may bring him back for some pass rush help. That's a possibility. So all those things are going to be in play. But, of course, uh, <clears throat> you worry, and I know – uh, that this game coming up, it should be a winnable game against the Miami Dolphins, but uh, injuries are going to play a big factor. Let's listen to what Michael Bumpus had to say about the injury situation. All right. They better get this one done, and they better get it done with some style points. I'm looking at this Miami team. Yes, Fitzpatrick, he, he can light up the scoreboard for 400. He can also throw four picks. You got Devontae Parker, good receiver, had his first 1,000-yard season last year, but he's not going to blow the top off of defense. He's not really fast. He's a he's more of a slot guy. He's shifty. He's got hands he can ball. Miles Gaskin, UW, I get it. All day, I get it. He's a local kid, but he's he's not Todd Gurley. Yeah, he's the, he's not one of the elite running backs in the league. They've already seen running backs who are better than Gaskin. They held Ezekiel Elliott to 34 yards. They didn't. Cam Newton didn't go crazy on them when they were playing against them. I look at this offense and I'm saying they should be able to handle this offense. Um, and Fitzpatrick, that's the wild card. I'm watching him in film. He's going to throw risk. He's going to risk it all at some point. He's going to be at the craps table and and he's gonna he's gonna roll that dice. He's gonna put everything all in. He's he's going to take chances. And it's time for this this defense to exploit those chances. They got 18 hits on the quarterback. They're not sacking the quarterback. The Hawks defense 18 hits on the quarterback. All you do is you need to get around Fitzpatrick. I'm watching him throw the corner route into a cover three. That's the biggest no-no in football. You got a corner dropping in a cover three. You don't throw the corner up. His judgment is off sometimes, and especially when he has pressure. 
The Seahawks have been providing pressure. I think they can handle this. I want some style points, and I think they need the style points right now. Now, you take a win however you can get it, but I'm looking at this offense. I'm like, come on, man. This this has to be it. Russell Wilson's going to do his thing. I think I think this is the game where we get some style points. Yeah, of course, they need the style points, but they just need to win. And <clears throat> I know one thing we're going to get into when we go into the uh, uh, behind the lines and talk about those big – People, I think, still don't realize what's going on in the league because certainly, you know, this uh, Seahawks defense is <clears throat> getting beat for four, 495 yards a game. But do you realize in the in the NFC, the average offense is scoring 27.12 points, AFC is 24.44 points, and right now, scoring and stats and that are the highest since the. 1961 AFL, but injuries are also playing a big role, a huge role in the fact that there's so many injuries league-wide. You know, I kept, kept chart of the missed starts and have been doing it since 2015, and the uh, 256 miss, 57 missed starts right now is the most that uh, I've covered since uh, counting that. It was about 254 in three weeks for the uh, first three weeks of the 2015 season, uh, so Injuries play a factor. The fortunate thing for Seattle, they did only have two injuries that knocked players out for the season, but that's still players that are knocked out for the season. That's that's a little scary, but they have to try to do the best they can. But overall, I look at a, a team right now that, uh, you know, it's still Green Bay and Seattle right now are fighting for, right, to be the top team in uh, the NFC, and both teams are getting beat up on defense. It's just the way it is in the National Football League. Nevertheless, uh, uh, I know that we're talking about the injuries and the different stuff like that. Pete Carroll did talk about you know, how Shaquem Griffin might be able to help. You mentioned you're excited to watch Shaquem play again this weekend. Does that mean you, you anticipate him either being flexed up again or given an active roster spot? Yes. He earned it. So they're going to put Shaquem Griffin on the active roster here before the end of the week. I'm sure they're trying to make a decision if there's anybody that's going to go on injured reserve. They did, you know, cut uh, DeAndre Walker, and uh, I would imagine they'll try to get him to the practice squad. They did bring in Demarius Randall, and they got him on the practice squad, so he's going to be available. Pete also on Monday talked about updates on Lano Hill uh, and also uh, Quinton Dunbar. There's a chance on both of them. Um particularly for Leno, uh, he had a, something that he woke up with, and, and we had, we checked him out and x-rayed him and all that stuff. Think everything turned out negative, but he was real uncomfortable. And remember, he had the real serious hip injury, and it was in the same area. So he he was concerned that maybe it might be something related to that, which we don't think it was at all. And so uh, he, he has a chance to come back. Uh, we'll see how it goes. And then also uh, the big one is Jamal Adams, who suffered the groin injury. So let's get an update on what Pete was able about Jamal Adams. After, yeah, after it was really injury. bothering him after the game. He was really bummed out because he wants to play so badly, and you can imagine uh, how, how important it is to him. But he, too, had a, a first-degree strain, so we'll see how that goes, and we'll just have to we'll go day by day with that. So that's the updates as far as the injuries, and we're going to get further updates later today. But, you know, it's got to be concerning. But, again, everybody's dealing with it. I mean, look at the Denver Broncos. They now have five or six starters on injured reserve. They lost their quarterback, uh, Drew Locke. You know, uh, Jeff Judy's been fighting through injuries. They lost Cortland Sutton at wide receiver. They put their right tackle, Elijah Wilkinson. So, And they play tomorrow going up against a banged-up New York Jets team. And <clears throat> you've got San Francisco. They keep getting injury after injury after injury. But you have to battle through the injuries and have enough depth. That's where I think Seattle is in better shape than most teams. 
because they've got real good depth. But still, what you worry about is what could happen going on the road, maybe a hot day, all those different things that can work against you. And, uh, you know, you're going to be having you know, probably uh, a lot of players that are going to be inactive because of injuries. And, of course, you're going to have some, one or two, that may go on injured reserves. So that's the challenge right now for Seattle. And, of course, uh, you don't want to add to the injuries. I guess in some ways you don't like to have the bye week early in the season. You know, this team's going to have it after the fifth week and week six. And But in this case, with all the injuries and the startup with the injuries, it's now not bad to be able to get this. And because also one thing that does help, you know, the injured reserve list is a three-week thing now for, for a minimum, and uh, you get guys back. And you just kind of keep juggling the roster. Before, if you had to put somebody on injured reserve, you pretty well lost them for eight weeks and not having much of a chance to get them back. But overall, I think the uh, challenge is going to be uh, going ahead and trying to get the injury situation taken care of, and then just let. Russell Wilson continued to win football games with the offense. Right now, Russell, of course, for the second time in three weeks, getting NFC Offensive Player of the Week well-deserved. Well, coming up next, and of course, we're going to uh, go with, with Omar Kelly, from the South Florida Sun Sentinel, who covers the Dolphins and have done it so well for many years. We've got a preview of the Dolphins. Hey, you can tell your smart speaker to play 710 ESPN Seattle. Remember, you can always listen to 710 on your smart speaker or the app. Omar Kelly coming up next. It's John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Two hours every day, 10 to noon. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand on the 710 Seattle Sports app. And joining us is Omar Kelly from the South Florida Sun Sentinel, one of the best beat guys in the country. We've been covering the Dolphins forever, but doing such a great job of doing it. So, Omar, how good is this Dolphin team? I don't know if we got a gauge of how good it was against Cincinnati because Cincinnati's so bad pass blocking, so bad on defense. But uh, how's this team turning around? Yes, and I, to answer your question, um, we, we, you know, they beat a Jacksonville Jaguars team pretty convincingly. But let's not pretend like Jacksonville yeah. wasn't a team that that everybody expected to be tanking for Trevor Lawrence to begin the season. Um, I don't think they're a very talented squad. I just think they somehow managed to beat Indianapolis. And, and they lost to two teams that I would argue to you are top ten teams in the NFL in, in Buffalo and, and New England. So uh, I think they're somewhere in that 7-9, and 9-7 nine, nine and seven realm uh, in terms of teams. Really, the measuring stick comes this Sunday against what, what I would argue to you is a, is a top-five team in the NFL. Yeah, no question, because uh, you've got an MVP-type quarterback who's off to an incredible start. I mean, two uh, off, uh, Offensive Player of the Week awards in the first three weeks, and he's putting up unprecedented type of numbers. I mean, 14 touchdown passes. It should have been 15 in the first three weeks. He's looking real good. Now, the one thing, I guess, uh, what you wonder about, and I think you watched it last year, and <laughs> really you've been watching it for years. Yeah, do, do, you, go, do you buy the idea that uh, Ted Marshabroda used to preach is that a good backup quarterback, he can come off the bench and win you three games, but if you keep if you play him sick, he's going to lose you three. And I, th- I think Ryan Fitzpatrick, even though he is the starter and remains the starter, is in that kind of realm as being one of the better backup quarterbacks. And you watched around what week, uh, the third or fourth game, that he started to drop off. Could we see the same thing happen this year as what's happened so most most of his career? You know what's interesting? Uh, I'm one of those people who I believe that Ryan Fitzpatrick has been held down by his... Hello? Can you hear me? I can hear you, yeah. Okay. Uh, I believe that Ryan Fitzpatrick has been held down by his situations. 
And, yeah, Changeli's been his offensive coordinator a lot of those situations. But, he, you know, he has produced one winning season. And, and, and then the next year, his, his, his Jets team is decimated by injuries. You know, Buffalo, come on, who really expected Buffalo to win and be a winning franchise? Um, I have, since I've watched Ryan Fitzpatrick uh, as the Dolphins' starting quarterback, there have not been many games where he has lost in the three games. I would argue to you that he can win this team six games, him alone. Uh, I, I've seen him do it. I, I know he, I give him all of the credit to, for the five wins last year. So I believe he can, he's, he's got six to seven wins in him as the starting quarterback. Now, could you get those six to seven wins with two as your starter? I don't think so. Because what I've seen from Ryan Fitzpatrick is he's the guy that makes the tide rise. He makes everybody around him a little bit better than they already are. That's yeah, so an interesting. And what you know, because the way I guess I, I'm hearing it is that uh, two is not on the immediate forecast. He's a guy that uh, is probably going to be more November than anything else, because you know, uh, just like you bring up, I mean, Fitzpatrick can win you some games, but Tua, if you put him out there as an inexperienced quarterback, despite being in the first round, you know, he's not going to win you as many games. He is. He's a very talented guy. He's super intelligent, charismatic. The accuracy is there. The precision passing is there. I just don't think the understanding of the offense is there. I don't think he has the speed of the NFL game yet, and I'm sure he won't get it until he finally starts to play. And I really don't think he has chemistry with the weaponry. Now, that could change in November. Uh, and, and certainly, I advocate for him to play if the Dolphins are out of playoffs. The minute the Dolphins are out of playoff contention, he needs to be the starting quarterback. But right now, with Brian Flores still trying to establish a culture, trying to establish a winning culture, trying to establish a culture where you get everybody's best every week, Ryan Fitzpatrick has to be the starter. Yeah, understood. The one thing I kind of also wonder about is that, uh, you know, the offensive line, because that can be a big issue because, you know, particularly in a year where there's no offseason program, there's no preseason games, to get as many as four new starters out there, particularly two rookies, that's really tough on any offense, any coach, and any quarterback. And it's been pretty impressive what they've been able to accomplish without chemistry and cohesion. Um, they're still learning how to communicate with one another. But I then also put on top of it, you know how I say Ryan Fitzpatrick makes everybody a little bit better? He makes the offensive line a little bit better because he evades out of sacks and pressure. He feels he's got a really good feel for pressure. Um, so you'll see him scrambling a lot of times. So, and even their runs, Ryan Fitzpatrick has assisted their running game. Without his runs and Jakeem Grant's runs, they'd be averaging 3.1 yards per carry. So it, it, it's, it's really a situation where they have done well. Could they be doing better? Absolutely. They can't run when they need to run, and that's an issue that they've got to get addressed before you can actually consider this team a contender. Yeah, Not course. even a contender, but a playoff team. Yeah, and of course, I mean, Miles Gaskin is real popular out here as being you know, one of the best running Man. backs for yards. How how good does yeah. Miles Gaskin fit, fit in? It, it's funny because I don't think anybody would have an appreciation for him outside of your clientele, outside of your listenership. Um, Miles... I saw him last year. Let me give you full circle. I saw him last year, and he was a charity 53 player. He didn't belong on the 53-man roster. And even when he was playing, he showed you that he didn't belong on the 53-man roster. I don't know what the man was doing in the offseason. He obviously ate his spinach, uh, ate, took his Wheaties. But he came in, and from training camp, day one, he was the best back in camp. No matter what Jordan Howard did, what Bat Berdea did, 
he was the best back to me. And then I was surprised. I was so pleasantly surprised when the coaches actually made him a, a key role player in game one. He did well. Got more put on his plate game two. He did well. Got, you know, and now he's become the featured back. And as Flores says, if somebody wants to take the job for him, they got to outperform him. And nobody has so far. So props to him because he, he's one of those guys. These are the guys that I respect more than anybody else in the NFL. They keep what they earn. They get what they earn. So, you know, John, you know, so many guys, they get things because of draft status or how many, how much money a team gave to you in free agency. Nobody gave Miles Gaskins anything. He's a seventh round pick. He was an afterthought on the roster and he goes and he wins the starting job. Like, but nobody wants to put respect on his name. That that is pretty remarkable when you think about it, because, again, he has done such a great job and when nobody expected anything defensively, where are they? Because they had obviously spent over two hundred and forty million dollars in contracts to try to get the defense better. (laughs) Yeah. How's the defense? Yeah. Um, That's an answer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, not good. They did okay. They did well against Jacksonville. I mean, but let's be real. It was Jacksonville. Uh, you know, and that's how you would want the defense to look. Now, can I sit here and say that the, the opponents that they were playing in the first two games gave them way more complications than they were ready to, considering those are probably two of the three best scrambling quarterbacks in the NFL? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll give them an excuse for that. Uh, but I didn't like a lot of the play calls. I didn't like a lot of the strategy in, in, in week one and week two. Week three, they tightened up, and they played the way that you would want them to play. Uh, the question is, which one is the norm? Which which one is – what's the aberration and what is the norm? Yeah, no doubt. Uh, and how how is Brian Flores being accepted? Because, again, it's so interesting to see – the struggles of some of the uh, former Bill Belichick guys uh, <clears throat> trying yeah. to implement things. And like Matt Patricia's, he struggled on defense. Mm-hmm. It's been a struggle for yeah. uh, Flores on defense. How I, I, It looks like he's a, a good coach, but how's he fitting in? Uh, he's fitting in well. I mean, he's got the keys to the castle. I, I think he's going to have an opportunity to even make mistakes and grow from them. Um, they, they it, You know, no complaints so far in terms of what he's doing. Um, I would just like to see more wins, and I'm probably one of the more critical individuals. I'm, I'm not going to give him credit because he coached a team that was tanking to five wins. I'm sorry that that you don't deserve that credit. I give that credit to Ryan Fitzpatrick. Uh, you know, you weren't good in any category except for penalties. But then, to his credit, this team is not a team that beats itself. They aren't going to commit penalties. They aren't going to commit too many turnovers. You're going to have to beat them. And, you know, it reminds me a lot of a Tony Sperano team. Those teams, you know, I just wish they were a little bit more physical like those Tony Sperano teams and force teams to, you know, you know, right now they're kind of pushovers. And, and until they get tougher and become more physical, I, I can't sit here and put, you know, Brian Flores, you know, crown him as the king of South Florida because you have not done what, you know, what, what we envisioned you doing, which was the first thing was, Build you a solid defense. It's not solid right now. Yeah, I mean, what what's the main weakness? Uh, if I had to say, it's pass rush. Uh, they don't have a single player winning one on one matchups on the defensive line. Uh, no guys like Cam Wake, who you know can just you know give give a, a, a right tackle fit. 
There's just no pass rushing specialist. Everything is scheme related. Everything is surprise. We're blitzing a linebacker. Surprise. We're bringing a, a, a safety. Surprise. We're trying to create confusion on the offensive line. And to me, I hate that type of defense. It just, it, it, you know, if, if, if every pressure play you get is because you're trying to surprise, create a breakdown and nobody's just the man, you know, that's not a very good defense for me. And I know, you know, my colleagues say, oh, well, the Pittsburgh Steelers won that way back in the heyday when, you know, when, when people, you know, were writing on, on, on chalkboards and film, and film was on, on microfiche. But I just don't believe in that defense. And I know the Patriots have the number one defense, and that's the scheme that they play. But I make the argument, and I, and I stand by this, how often did the Patriots not play with a lead? It's very easy to play defense when you're playing with a lead, and all you got to do is pin your ears back and go hunt quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a lot different to play when when you're trailing and you've got to create turnovers or you've got to create pressures, you know, or or you got you don't know whether it's the run or the pass that's coming. And I think that's a square this defense struggles. Interesting, Omar Kelly, uh, great stuff. And of course, uh, you, you got to uh, give your Twitter handles. Make sure everybody follows you here because you do such a great job. Uh, uh, and you know I'm such a big fan of you, John. Um, Omar Kelly, O M A R K E L L Y. Um, I just I do a show every week, X's and Omar, and we we sat, we today we discussed, you know, is Russell Wilson elite? And the naysayers who who don't think he's elite, I think he's a Hall of Fame quarterback. Uh, I don't care if he never wins another championship. His Seattle the Seattle Seahawks are consistently contenders because of Russell Wilson. Nothing more, nothing less. And to me, that's a Hall of Famer. Hey, Omar, thank you so much. Sorry I'm not going to be able to see you because I'm going to be doing the Dolphin sidelines uh, here in Seattle at home. So, uh, But I'll be on the broadcast and, of course, uh, you know, writing and doing all the fun stuff. I, I, I will always look forward to seeing you, John. I hope everything is well in your world and stay safe out there. Yes, same to you. Hey, and, of course, uh, that's always great to hear from Omar because he does such a great job. And, of course, uh, be sure to check out the professor's notes on 710sports.com. The professor's notes are brought to you by Infinity of Tacoma at 5. Coming up next, we'll talk some defense as we go in behind the lines. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On demand with the 710 Seattle Sports app. And of course, one thing that you can see is that, uh, you know, I, I know when we took phone calls on Monday, which we love doing, getting your reaction to think everybody was beating up the defense and talking about how bad it is. And I think what everybody just has to be educated on, this is a different year. And, of course, offense has been you know, getting more explosive year in and year out. And uh, it's particularly more in the NFC because, uh, you know, even uh, going, going into week three, there was 12 quarterbacks making $21 million a year or more, and 11 of them had been to the Pro Bowl. Okay, you don't have that in the AFC. Now you have Nick Foles, who won a Super Bowl when he filled in at Philadelphia. He now takes over for Mitch Trubisky. So now you have 13. Teen experienced quarterbacks. Uh, now uh, Foles is not making big money. He had when he signed with Jacksonville, but uh, then they ended up uh, getting rid of him and bringing him up to uh, Chicago to kind of take over for Mitch Trubisky if he struggled, and he did. But here's you look at the numbers, and uh, <clears throat> and the average a- AFC NFC team is averaging. Uh, 27.12 points a game where the average in the AFC where you have about 10 or 11 quarterbacks that have three years or less experience is 24.4. That's almost what it's 2.7 points 
a game difference. And that uh, you have very few teams. In fact, there's only one team right now in the NFC, uh, the New York Giants, is getting, scoring less than 20 points a game. That's how powerful it is. And this is a league right now that uh, you know it's what 25.5 uh, points a game. And so you're, you're getting much tougher. And again, where is it affecting? Look at look at the teams that are affected by this. You'll get Seattle giving up 495 yards per game. All right. Then you have the uh, Green Bay Packers, you know, they have to score 40 points to win, and they're giving up uh, 20, 28-3. You know, Minnesota's giving up 34 points a game. And, uh, you know, again, as I mentioned, it's like uh, the only one that's really not scoring is going to be the, uh, the New York Giants, and that's because they got a young quarterback, and that's going to work to the benefit. Atlanta, they're scoring 30 points a game. New Orleans, 29.3 points a game, but they're giving up 30.3 points. I mean, it's funny, they talk in Green Bay now, about uh, you know the disaster that they say the defense is, but it's just commonplace right now. I mean, if the average team is getting 27 points, it's not like uh, you know you can twist it and turn it and all that. And there's several reasons for that. DJ number one is that uh, again the NFC has so many talented corner quarterbacks. Many of those quarterbacks are mobile. I mean, you think about the idea if you start off against the uh, Atlanta Falcons scoring 30 points with Matt Ryan. Then you go to Cam Newton averaging 29 points. I know he's in the AFC, but of course he'd been in the NFC for so many years. New England's averaging 29 points, and Dallas and Dak Prescott are 29-3. I mean, those are three of the bigger challenges you're going to have, but it's going to throw your numbers off, and the key is to somehow win these high-scoring games. And that's where they're fortunate right now, because they're letting Russell Wilson cook, and he's been able to win these games. But the reality is that that the offense right now is just destroying defenses. And I some there's one stat out there now that said you have to go back to the points, yards, completions, and everything else to the 1961 AFL, American uh, to be able to match anything that you're seeing right now. That's how different the game is right now, DJ. Yeah, Andrew Siciliano from uh, NFL Network um, tweeted this out about a couple hours ago saying this is the highest-scoring NFL we have ever seen through three weeks. There have been 281 total touchdowns, 273 offensive touchdowns. There has been 2,446 points, and every game on average has 51 total points between the two teams per game. Each number is a new week, uh, three-week high. John, we were, talk- we were kind of talking about this yesterday. Yeah. It's just a trend right now. Like, yes, it would be nice to have a dominant defense. And Baltimore, again, like how they we saw a prime example of this on Monday against the Chiefs. Baltimore, to me, is still one of the three best teams in the NFL, don't get me wrong. But they definitely try to build this thing from the defense with all the moves that they made in free agency, whether it be through signings like franchise tagging someone like Matthew Judon or signing Derek Wolf to the defensive line or trading for Clayus Campbell from the Jacksonville Jaguars. They definitely try to build this thing through defense. But now we're kind of seeing, well, they don't really have – enough weapons for Lamar Jackson because at the end of the day you're always going to you're going to face a deficit at some point no matter how good you are and we saw yesterday or on Monday Baltimore doesn't have the weapons to really come back and so now we're seeing all these other teams kind of follow the trend of off uh, you know scoring up points on offense and then having enough playmakers on defense to make the plays when they really matter we're definitely seeing that here in Seattle yeah, no doubt. And like uh, people got to just recognize that right now because they're going on older standards and things have changed. And again, one of the things that uh, is helping is the fact that, uh, you know, they're not calling as many penalties. I mean, they've cut down significant numbers of holding penalties, offensive holding. <clears throat> so now 
you get a little bit more time on the offensive line. And I think they've definitely cut down on the defensive interference calls. And so you're getting, you know, more offensive completions and things of that nature. You just got to realize, I mean, this is now pretty much a 12 penalty a game type of uh, situation for the first three weeks where in in an unusual season, what you have is more penalties called at the beginning to kind of make the point and get everybody focused on the fact, okay, you can't do this. You can't do this. Well, right now you can do things. Well, I want to play you this cut here from Pete Carroll. Bob David Moore were discussing this yesterday about the advantages that the offensive, uh, offenses have, and I want to play this cut here from Pete Carroll for you real quick. Yeah, John. Well, I, I you know, I really think that overall, just just the lack of time working out on the field and, and missed in the off season and all of that, um, really seems to have affected the defense more so. I think also the, um, you know, the, the 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 lack of opportunity to play full speed football in camp which is you know it's a real benefit as you're you know developing your game uh, and that being absent you know it, there's a factor there and and so I, I think the offenses are taking advantage of it a little bit and and they're just they've started faster it sounds like they were discussing this yesterday at the top of the show on bob david moore here john that it kind of sounds like in the tone that Pete Carroll was speaking speaking towards that question was that maybe the way that they that the offenses are going right now is not sustainable especially the way that the Seahawks are playing so differently on offense what do you think John I mean right now I think it's sustainable because again if you have the right quarterback and that's where it's going to be more prevalent in the NFC than the AFC you can sustain it but again at some point defenses will catch up and be able to start figuring things out it's just not there right now and of course you know not only do you have the complications of trying to play catch up if you're on defense but then also fight through the injuries because there's so many more injuries and so you can be left vulnerable but I think that everybody's just got to recognize that uh, you know Seattle's I mean because you know, remember how it was uh, this whole off season it was like whoop it's clowny or bust they don't get Clowney back. Their defense is not going to be any good. All right, so they got Clowney. He's not back. He's now down in Tennessee. And, uh, you know, they they still have been able to win three games. I mean, I, I think moment, many people thought if they don't get Clowney back, season's over. Done, done, done. Well, right now, despite the problems that the team has on defense, and clearly they've got to start fixing some things up, you know, taking on quarterbacks like maybe Orion Fitzpatrick and maybe a few more can definitely maybe help that. But in the end, you just got to realize it's like this is so different because everybody's experiencing it. Do you think no fans makes a difference, John? Yes. Texter's pointing this out here, and I want to acknowledge that. Do you think it's making a difference? No question, because, you know, first off, it uh, you know gives – the uh, you know you don't have that home field advantage. I mean, <clears throat> at the moment there's there's only a three game difference between home and away, where it's twenty five, twenty two, and one. And so, like for example, there would have been several times where the Seahawks having a full stadium <clears throat> that you wouldn't see some of the plays made toward the end of the game that were made because you'd have the false starts, the crowd noise, all those different things. So two of those comebacks by Dallas and New England may not have happened as prominently because you know the team had the double digit lead and had the lead, but then. You make the key stops, and you're able to do that. So uh, I think just everybody's got to kind of follow what's going on, not just go by the old standards. They've got to see, all right, where is this, and where can you do with this? So uh, right now we got the uh, offense is winning. We'll see how long it continues. And of course, coming up next, we're going to check in with Dave Wyman with our Wednesdays with Wyman. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle.